Please be seated. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Those are the three words that always come to mind when we think about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Many people today picture Christianity with its Judeo-Christian ethics based on these Ten Commandments as something old and lifeless and joyless. We look at what our youth culture is doing today for fun and we grimace and we frown. Many view Christianity as an enemy of life and fun, as being against anything that is delightful or fulfilling. How many of us unconsciously view God as some big father up there who says, find out what they're doing for fun and make them stop? Is that what we think? Fear becomes the rule of fear of God, fear of the consequences of our actions, fear that we'll have to stop having fun. And no wonder in that kind of context why we fear making contact, making contact with God. People usually break into two groups. When they see and experience something good, group number one sees it as a sign or evidence that there's someone up there watching out for them. Group number two experience good and they see it as pure luck. It's just a happy turn of chance. They feel that ultimately whatever happens, they're on their own. And they, they, if you're on your own, it kind of fills you with fear. Group one feels that whatever's going to happen, there will be someone there to help them. And that fills them with hope. You've got fear and you have hope. What kind of person are you? Do you feel deep down that whatever happens, you're on your own, filling you with fear? Or do you believe that deep down that whatever happens, there's someone up there watching out for you to help you, filling you with hope? Fear or hope? Can you pull me down just a bit on the volume, please? The atheist lives in fear of being on his own. The Christian lives in fear of contact with God, angry because you broke the rules. In reality, we should be filled with hope. We should not fear when we come into contact with God. Why? Because God wants contact with us, not to punish us, but to love us, to help us, not to hurt us. Joy Davidman, Joy Davidman was the wife of C.S. Lewis. She wrote a book and she said this. She uses an illustration of a life preserver to illustrate the point. She says, God, for many of us, is a life preserver flung to a drowning man. And so he is if, if you happen to be drowning. But you can't drown all the time. Sooner or later, you have to start living again. Do we throw away the life preserver when we safely reach the shore? If our contact with God is based on fear rather than love, we will throw the life preserver away and say, I don't need it anymore. 
Only if we're drowning and going down for the third time will we bargain with God, offering to trade everything dear for us for that contact with God, the life preserver. But once we get back safely on shore, we throw away the life preserver and grab our treasures back. Until the next time, of course. We forget that the reason God wants contact with us and he's watching out for us is not to stamp out our pleasures. God is not only comfort, but he's joy. He's the source of all pleasure. He's fun, he's light, and he's laughter. Contact with God. We were meant to enjoy contact, not because it's about the rules, it's about relationship. It's about relationship. We all desperately want a positive experience with God, free from fear and full of hope. This message series is about the Ten Commandments, God's top ten. It's all about relationship. In this message today, I want to lay some groundwork so that as we work our way through God's top ten, we will begin to understand the who of God's top ten, the why for God's top ten, and the desired outcome. What's the desired outcome for God's top ten? We're going to read from Exodus 19. It's the, it's the book before, the chapter before the Ten Commandments. We're going to, it describes a preparation and actually getting ready to meet God. This is getting ready for contact with God. And I'd like, it's, it's a little bit longer than some of the passage we, we read, but I'd like to turn to Exodus 19. It'll be in the PowerPoint in front of you as well. Exodus 19, page 59 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. And we're going to read 19 verses as we start. Exodus 19, verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israelites camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. 
he shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows, not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down to the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there were, was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with the smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Kind of dramatic. Glad we don't have to go through all that every Sunday, right? Oh no, we're coming into God's presence. Look out for the smoke. Yeah. A historical event. God is making contact with his people. How did the Israelites prepare for contact with God? How did the people prepare for this relationship? And what can we learn? We begin with our preparation for contact with God hopefully reaching an understanding of what this contact is all about. What do we do? How is God calling us? First of all, some things to understand. What is this relationship about? Number one, this is a relationship of love, not fear. This is a relationship of love, not fear. Now, God's relationship with his people is to be one of respect and awe. Fear in the sense of understanding God's place as creator in contrast to our position as created. There is to be a, an awe or a fear in that way. But God's relationship is intended to be one of love and blessing, not fear and cursing. Now, we discover first that letter A, this relationship was initiated by God. God initiated it. Abram, later known as Abraham, the father and founder of Israel, didn't wake up one morning and say, I, I think I'm going to make contact with the real God and see if he'll bless me. You know, we, we think maybe that's what happened. He didn't, he didn't start this relationship. God started this relationship with his people. He initiated the contact with Abram and promised to bless him and his descendants, producing a nation through whom all people could someday come into contact with God. That includes you. It all started, God initiated that with Abram, later Abraham, so that eventually we could be in contact, actually have a relationship with the living God. All through history, God is a seeking God, seeking out people. He's the one who initiates contact. Why? Why does he do that? Because people matter to God. You matter to God. When he contacted Abram way back then, he knew someday you'd be sitting at Eau Claire Wesleyan Church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, worshiping him too. Contact. Put it in historical context. You matter to God. So much he initiated a search 
in order to make contact with you. Why? Because you are of special value to God. And God wants to have a special relationship with you. There's no one, there's no one that has the kind of relationship you have with God. Period. You have a unique relationship with God. And God initiated it because he wanted that relationship. This is a relationship of love, not fear. Love, not fear. Secondly, this relationship is, is carried by God. God is the one who sustains and gives life to this relationship. In verse 4, our text uses an illustration of eagle's wings. Eagle's wings. Now, what is that all about? We see a lot of eagles around here. We, I drive past this big bald eagle's nest on the way home every day. And you can see them coming and going and taking off this. It's a big nest <laughs> in this big tree. When a baby, baby eagle is born, it's fed and pampered in a feather-lined nest high above the ground. Sometimes it's on the side of a cliff, sometimes it's in a tree or whatever. And when the baby eagle is ready to fly, what happens? Mother eagle pushes it out of the nest. Okay. Now, I've never been able to see this. Other people have seen this. They push the eaglet out of the nest into thin air. And as the baby eagle falls through the air trying to fly, the mother eagle swoops under it and catches it on her back and takes it high into the sky and then lets the eaglet go again. And mother eagle will repeat this over and over again until it learns how to spread its wings and fly. Okay? That, that illustration is used for the nation of Israel because the Israelites spent 400 years in a comfortable nest where everything was taken care of. They, they spent 400 years in Egypt, that was their nest. And God made the Israelites uncomfortable in that nest. And then he pushed them out into thin air. <laughs> he pushed them out in the wilderness. Where were they going? I don't know, we're going here, you know, whatever that is. And then he carried them along for 40 years in the desert. He fed them every day, provided water when they needed. He made their clothes last the whole time. For 40 years, it's rumored that they went through four cycles of bell-bottoms and skinny jeans in that whole time. <laughs> Their clothes lasted 40 years. They grew up in safety, then they started to fly. Now, I have two daughters, and as a dad, I discovered many different roles in my relationship with my daughters. One was to teach them how to ride a bike, okay? You guys do that? Teach them how to ride a bike. Once they were ready for me to remove the bike's training wheels, that's when the fun began. Because I would run alongside them, helping, supporting, catching, keeping sure they didn't fall, helping them balance the bike until they could ride on their own. Now, once they could ride on their own, they didn't need me anymore. Our, but our relationship changed, okay? I no longer provided the physical balance or the help for them to ride the bike. They were now independent of me since they could ride on their own. They were more independent, but they still had a relationship with me. They're dead. The nature of our relationship changed because they were growing up, but the contact remained because it was a relationship that we had. Then it started all over again when they turned 16 from 
bike to a car, 10 miles per hour to 60 miles per hour. You guys have been through it. You know what that's like. The relationship we, we have with God constantly changes as we grow to the next level. We mature and grow up. God always takes us where we are and he carries us along. He carries us along, sustains us. Israel had ups and downs. We have ups and downs. The one constant is that God is always there to carry us along. The third concept of contact that we find here is that we are valued by God. Verse 5 calls Israel my treasured possession. My treasured possession. Now, God did not value these people only if they followed all the rules. His value was placed on him. It was, it was unchanging. It was unconditional, and it was constant. What kind of parents would we be if we only showed our children love if they obeyed all the rules or they were good? What kind of friend would you be if you only showed love and acceptance when your friends are fun and nice and up? People are valued by God not because of what they do, but because of who they let me say that again. People are valued by God not because of what they do, but because of who they be. I know it's poor grammar, but getting, we, we have to get past the idea that we must do for God to love us. We have to do or God will love us. God loves us as we are unconditionally. It's not about rules. It's about relationships. Relationship. These are foundational truths. And we'll be talking about the parameters of these relation, this relationship as we, as we move forward. So we, we have a relationship of love, not fear. It's initiated by God, and we are carried by God and valued by God. And fourth, we are possessed by God. 19.5 says, my treasured possession, my treasured possession... It means Israel is possessed by God. Now, I used to love it when my father would introduce me to someone and say, this is my son. This is my son. I tell people, this is my wife or these are my daughters. Now, when used in this way, I'm speaking of possession, not in the sense of control or ownership or property, but in sense of relationship. It's, it's relationship. So he says, they're my treasured possession. It's not that he owns us that way. He values that relationship. Now granted, God is the owner of everything. He has given us life, breath, body, soul, spirit. He owns it all, but we are his possession by virtue of relationship because we choose to respond. God initiated contact and we responded. Free will says, I choose to belong to God. Even though he is the right as creator, God or the boss, he chooses to give us choice. Besides, what good is a relationship when you have to love someone? You have to love her, she's your sister. Or you have to love him, he married your daughter. You know, those kinds of things. There's contract. I want to talk for a minute about the difference between contract and covenant. Covenant and contract. God's top ten are part of a, of a covenant which 
describes also is a contract. Verse 5 says this. It starts with, if. If you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. If you obey me, you'll be my treasured possession. Now, didn't you just say this was voluntary? Isn't this I choose, now you're putting conditions on my relationship? No. So, let's talk about relationship like that. Some people approach their marriage as if it were a contract. Talking about contract versus covenant. Contract. The man says to his wife, if you cook, clean, wash the clothes, have my children be the primary caregiver, work your 40 hour a week and fill all my needs, then I will fulfill my end of the contract. Doesn't sound very fun. Or the woman says to her husband, if you make a good living, provide me with all the credit cards I need, let me shop, provide material comforts, emotional support, non-sexual affection, then I will fulfill my end of the contract. Now, that may be a marriage contract, but it's not a marriage relationship. Not a marriage relationship. We must delineate between the conditional and the unconditional. Marriage is unconditional it's unconditional in extending love and support without conditions until death separates. It is conditional, however, in its enjoyment and fulfillment. It's conditional in its enjoyment and fulfillment. If marriage is to be enjoyed and fulfilling, men, you just need to take out the trash and don't complain about it. One must give support, encouragement, love, and give gifts and talk and walk. You can stay married without all of that, but I can guarantee you won't enjoy it. You can fulfill your contract, but you will not experience the marriage covenant because the marriage covenant is relationship. It's relationship. And there are relational parameters. God has them too. Ten, mostly. And if followed, we can experience a full, joyful relationship with God. Or not. If, then. This is not conditional in the sense that we earn it, we choose to accept it or reject it. There's a vast difference between a contract relationship and a covenant relationship. Okay, and I have this in your notes. The contract relationship says... If you give to me, I will give in return. That's a contract relationship. If you give to me, I will give in return. Okay? The covenant relationship says, I've already given. That's God. Just receive the gift of love and then return obedience. I've already given. Just receive the gift of love and return obedience. It's critical for us to understand the nature of God's covenant relationship with Israel in order to understand God's new covenant relationship with us through Jesus Christ. That's why it's foundational to understand these parts of the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments lay down the parameters for how to relate correctly to this awesome God who has already extended himself to us. This is the essence of grace. 
God has already accepted us and is extending the gift of relationship. We choose to accept that relationship, conditions and all, or reject it. Alan Cole writes this. He says, all that Israel needed initially for salvation from Egypt was acceptance of God's deliverance. Now the thought is introduced that obedience is needed as well as faith. This is not a contradiction. It's a fuller explanation of the nature of faith as a response. It's the heart of the covenant that underlies the whole law of Moses. Relationship of love, not fear, not fear. Second, this contact with God is in community, not isolation. In community, not in isolation. Roman numeral two. This covenant, this relationship, the contract is lived out in community. It's lived out in a group setting. You say, I was just getting used to the idea of contact with God. Now you tell me I have to be part of a group? Yes. Exodus 19.6 says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Kingdom of, now there are two fundamental ideas in priesthood. Two, two ideas in priesthood. The first one is free access to God's presence. The priests had free access to God's presence. In the Old Testament, the priests were the ones and the only ones that could make contact with God. You remember, they couldn't, you couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. You had to be set out at this place or that place. Only priests were given contact with God. And that all changed. When did that change? When Jesus died, remember the the, the curtain ripped from the top to the bottom. Everybody has access personally to God. Now, Hebrews 10, 19 to 22 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Sometimes we have no clue the difference between before Christ and after Christ. We take it so for granted. I can pray and there I am, right, with Jesus. I can talk to him. We have contact. We can have instant contact with the living God. Instantly, because of what Jesus did. Have you ever tried to make an appointment to see somebody important? There are usually several layers of people to work through. It becomes difficult to make contact with certain people. In contrast to that, we can contact God directly through this covenant relationship with Jesus. It's a direct line. It's instant messaging. Instant messaging. The second principle of priesthood is help others enter God's presence. Help others enter God's presence. We exist as followers of Jesus Christ to help other people make contact with God. We don't act as mediators. Our role is to introduce others to Jesus Christ so he can be the mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus. 
We're not the mediators, but we introduce people. Once we introduce people to Jesus Christ, they establish their own personal contact with God. Then they too can be part of this community called the people of God. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians. I just want to read a couple of these verses. Familiar, very familiar with many of you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Reconciling. Helping people establish contact with God. In the Old Testament, here in Exodus, the people of God were the nation of Israel. Today, in New Testament times, the people of God are the church. The church. Not the building. Okay? And, and let me tell you something. The church is imperfect. We all know that because we're all part of it. Okay? The church is not perfect, but it is the building of God. It is the community of faith. We're called a community, not isolation. Number three, contact with God in purity. Purity, not ordinary, but special. Not ordinary, but special. Verse 19, uh, Exodus 19, 6 says, You will be for me a holy nation. Holy means separate, but not separate in the sense of separation from all the nations. Holy in the essence means separate in the fact that they were so splendid, so pure, so untarnished. They were so bright a light, so obviously different, so obviously devoted to God that they stood out. They stood out. That's what God calls us to be. Holy, pure, special. And number four, contact. Contact. Get ready to meet God. How do we prepare? Relationship, community, and purity. Each and every one of these are God's work to us, in us, and through us to others. God's top ten. It's about relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you established a relationship. You made contact first because you loved us, you valued us, you created us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand the value of that relationship and how you desire that closeness, that you want to be close to us, and just pray, God, that we would want to be close to you. Father, we desire that relationship, and I pray that you'll deliver us from all the distractions and draw us closer. In Jesus' name.